No awkward opening today. Today in Ohio is a drinking game. Cleveland Scene has taken our podcast and put together a bunch of bingo cards with our repetition. And it's very barbed at each of us. Good good stuff from Scene. Play along as you listen. You can win at bingo. It is Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com in The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with my colleagues Lisa Garvin, Layla Tassi, and Laura Johnston, who all were charmed beyond belief <laughs> that Scene would pick on their little faux pas and habits in this podcast. Layla with her lilting laugh is her transition. I love it. I loved it. Laura. <laughs> skiing in the winter and swimming in the summer i loved it you guys wasn't it i loved the bingo game that scene scene came up with it was hilarious the throwing the flag i was like yes because i mean if that's not a daily occurrence it's at least a weekly occurrence i think this bingo game was like one of the funniest things i'd read you know like this matches up with scenes after the november election where they did the uh (laughs) sam allen wrote um, there will soon be more women than Kevin's on Cleveland City Council. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. This made me laugh as much as that. I loved this. Yeah. Well, tip of the hat to I Sam will, Allard. I dedicate all my I will laughs to Sam in this in this episode. Lisa. Yeah, and I'm I'm trying to figure out, you know, why my personal details were intimate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm just talking. Just talking. Yeah, the awkward opening. That's a direct shot. It's funny because we were just talking about the awkward off the air. I was sort of like, can we talk about other things other than the weather? Let's 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 come up with a list of interesting uh, opening topics here. Let's just start. Let's start, you know, digging deeper. I think it's obvious, Layla, (laughs) that I don't think about what I'm going to say in the awkward opening until the clock counts down to zero. Maybe I should just talk talking about what we'll be discussing and smooth it out. Oh. I would think the awkwardness is a little bit endearing, apparently not. <laughs> let's, let's begin. Is it possible that Ohio will become a state without an income tax? Laura, this is an idea that John Kasich was really pushing back when he was governor, and it kind of went into abeyance. We get these minor little cuts in the income tax every year. Republicans in the legislature can say they are champions. This is a more serious discussion. Yeah, nearly a third of state senators are already on board and sponsoring this legislation, which was introduced on Tuesday. And it would basically, over 10 years, eliminate non-business income tax so that we'd become the eighth state to to vote to abolish the personal income tax altogether. And you're right. We've been cutting income tax since Kasich took office in 2011. Last year, the state budget bill cut income taxes by 3% across the board, though it removed the state's top income tax bracket, which... uh, gave some Ohioans the wealthiest a break of about 17%. And so I love that this bill was introduced by Matt Huffman's cousin, State Senator Stephen Huffman, who I did not know exist until this story. But he said the legislation would simply finish what lawmakers started. And I love this, that they they argue that you can cut the tax rate and actually raise more money from taxes, looking back at what happened in like 2011. But I mean, there's been inflation. It's been 11 years. Like we should have more income tax. And if you zero it out, there's not going to be any more. All right. I'm going to be the contrarian in this, or maybe Lisa will join me. I lived in Florida, no income tax state. And what I loved about it is that the legislators did not have bounties of money to squander. 
and and play games with like they do in Ohio. It kept them running lean. And you could say, well, it penalizes the poor. It helps the rich. It stopped the legislators from doing wasteful things because they had to provide basic services. I think reining in the spending can only be done by reining in the amount of dollars. I'm all for it. I I cannot believe that people in Ohio actually voted for an income tax. What was it in the 1970s? Who in their right mind would have done that? Lisa, Texas didn't have an income tax, right? No, it didn't. And it's also a right to work state. But yeah, when I moved back to Ohio in 2017, you know, of course, they sent me the Rita tax, which I don't have to pay because I'm retired. But I I paid nearly $900 in Ohio taxes last year. And yeah, in Texas, I didn't pay that at all. Of course, Texas is a much larger state with a much larger population, but they seem to do just fine without a state income tax. Well, and Florida used use fees. I mean, they had a network of roads and about half of them were where you pay as you go. I just, it, the, the, the amount of taxes we pay here boggles my mind. I've never felt like, like I've been dinged as much as I get dinged here. And we see what they do with it. You know, I mean, the, the, it's not the, the income tax that the county council is using Cuyahoga County, but it is still our tax dollars. They're going to squander on 66 million in slush funds. Well, if they don't have 66 million to squander, then we don't squander the money and the people get to keep it. I, I, it's fascinating if they can pull this off because I do think it makes a difference in where people choose to live. Layla, you haven't spoken up on this. Where are you? Oh, sorry. Technical difficulty. <laughs> Bingo. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry. No? You gonna answer? Uh, I, I guess I guess she really is I'm having technical difficulties. I thought she was playing the bingo game. All right. Well, good story. Check it out on Cleveland.com. You are listening to Today in Ohio. I hope she's gonna answer here. Can I really pay off the Greater Cleveland Regional Transit Authority to buy my way out of a criminal charge if I get caught not paying my fare? Layla, are you there? I am here. (laughs) Okay. Okay, I'm sorted out here. Um, Yeah, so this is the strange takeaway from, from news this week about a proposed ordinance in Cleveland that would reduce penalties for RTA riders who who failed to pay the $2.50 bus or train fare. So the proposed change involves a section of Cleveland Code that makes fare evasion on public transit a fourth-degree misdemeanor, punishable by up to 30 days in jail and a $250 fine. The new law, if it's approved by council, would remove the possibility of jail time and cap the fine at $25. And the transit advocates would, would like to see fare evasion treated the same way as parking tickets, which is would just be you know civil fines without criminal penalty, penalties at all. But it turns out that None of this really matters anyway, because as council's own proposed legislation points out, RTA police rarely, if ever, charge people under the city law. RTA police instead use this parallel state law that makes fare evasion a fourth degree misdemeanor, punishable by the same penalties as Cleveland's current law. So that's 30 days in jail and a $250 fine. And of course, only state legislators can change state law. But here's the weird part that we've been discussing among ourselves in the newsroom these past couple of days. The legislation that the city is, is proposing points out that RTA practice is to give those suspected of fare evasion 
a warning on their first offense. And then for subsequent offenses, they can pay RTA a $25 administrative fee within 72 hours to avoid a criminal charge. But if they don't pay in that time frame, they're cited under the state law. So that practice means that people can avoid the criminal charge altogether and and all the time and cost of fighting it out in court as long as they pay up to RTA. And Councilman Kerry McCormick, who's one of the backers of the city proposal, said he's cool with that, and he hopes that that practice continues even if Cleveland changes a law so people can you know, continue to have a chance to keep their records clean. He just wants RTA to start citing folks under the new city law to eliminate the jail time and the hefty fine if they can't immediately pay that administrative fee. But... You know, RTA has kind of ghosted us on our public records requests and our questions, but, you know, uh, you know, what is well, what RTA is doing here with that administrative feed? Doesn't that sound like some weird shakedown to you guys? Well, I mean, how much it, how much money it, are they scooping up in administrative fees over the years from folks trying to avoid criminal charges? But on the one side, it's like really benevolent, right? Because we through our justice reform series. We've seen what happens to people when they get drafted into the criminal justice system for lightweight charges. It's just a downward spiral. If they fail to appear, there's a warrant put out for their arrest, and they, they, you know, they lose jobs, they lose custody of their kids, they, they go broke. So, so it's a really bad thing to have people go into the court system for minor nonsense like this. On the other hand, this seems fundamentally wrong. I mean, where does it end? So so if I get stopped for DUI and Cleveland Heights police need to generate revenue for the city, do they say, hey, I'll drive you home. Give me 100 bucks. We'll put it into the city coffers. No charge. I mean, yeah. at, at what point does it end? I mean, you know, do you, do, you, do you violent crime? Hey, give us $500. No charge. You'll be fine. And you're basically paying RTA not to charge you. There is no other place in the criminal justice system where you could do that. That's like, a, you know, another country. Yeah, it just just doesn't sound right. <laughs> it just doesn't. And and I don't quite understand why why can why can't they why can't the city just go ahead and decriminalize fair evasion? What is what's the problem with that? I mean, that's what that's what the transit advocates want. Just go the extra step. Just do the thing. What? Why? Well, <laughs> What's the problem? And, and then, and then this whole, you know, the the administrative fee question goes away. We don't need to worry about, you know, scrub scrub that from the the, you know, what from the well, conversation. You need some something to induce people to pay their fares, but you could institutionalize what they're doing. First time you get a warning. Second time, it's a $25 fine, and if you don't pay it in three days, it goes up to $100. And just that's no, but you, know, you leave do it at that. You do the parking, you know, make it akin to a parking ticket. The yeah. same, I mean, that have that structure in place. Right. I mean, right. I always feel compelled to pay my parking tickets. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to see that, that fine escalate. But it's, you don't need to have the criminal charges backing it up. So I don't know. But this administrative fee, it just feels gross feels like bribery man it yeah. feels like you're bribing your way out of a charge but i think they're doing it for all the right reasons that's that's the sad thing they are helping people in a very good way they're, i think their motive look they're not going to be collecting a lot of money with 25 dollars fees i think they're doing this for all the right reasons but the mechanism well, it I just seems know. like did you see the numbers at the end of courtney's story about how they had you know how many thousands of people had been charged for fair evasion 
And those are the ones who who actually got the citation, not the ones who paid the right, the well, fee. So see. if we get if we do get those records of how many people paid the fee, I'm assuming it's much more than the thousands who took the charge. What a great conversation though, right? I mean, this is just one of those topics you could chew on and really analyze because it's just a, it's a good yeah. one. It's about I mean, you know, what, Courtney and the I role were, of government. We were talking about it yesterday and we we're like, well, maybe we're, you know, we're we're just a couple years too late on this because of course the, you know, the the municipal court has said that the way they were they were enforcing fair evasion was was unconstitutional. And so now the number of people who've been charged with fair evasion has gone down dramatically in the last couple of years. So we're not going to see that huge spike of, you know, but but if you look back a few years, thousands of people were charged with it. So I bet yeah. they were making a bunch of money on it. And Laura, you want to say anything about Canada? <laughs> <laughs> You're listening no. to Today in Ohio. That was another bingo reference with <laughs> Sam Allen. Is Mike DeWine taking victory in Tuesday's Republican primary for granted? What has the governor's campaign been doing of late? Lisa, good story we put out there yesterday about some heavy spending that DeWine has in the works. Yeah, even though he has a comfortable lead, uh, some say by double digits going into this final week before the election, he's going to shell out $1 million this week in radio TV ads leading up to next Tuesday, May 3rd. Um, and like I said, a- available polling gives him a double digit lead. And interestingly enough, um, his critics, you know, have not united against any of his opponents. So they haven't thrown their weight completely behind Jim Renacci or Joe Blystone or Ron Hood. So, you know, they think that that might make a difference. Not much of one, probably. But Renacci, uh flack Tom Wayan said that DeWine is feeling the burn, which is why he's spending, you know, running up to the election. And he says that DeWine's victory is not a foregone conclusion. Apparently, the Renacci camp has an internal poll that gives Renacci a seven-point lead over DeWine. I, it, it, look, we've been talking about this all week. We we think DeWine wins. We think DeWine wins handily, but we won't be surprised if he doesn't because the whole state is upside down. There has been a constant attack on him from the far right that that basically paint him as a Democrat. And is that working? We just don't. Nobody has their finger on the pulse of this. I wonder if DeWine did some polling and realized, uh oh, and that's why he's flushing some more of his money because he's going to need campaign cash going into November. If he wins Tuesday, he'll have a serious opponent for the rest of the year. Yeah, and he does have eight million dollars in the bank right now, and uh, to Renacci's only two million, and then Joe Blystone and Ron Hood really are also Rands. They, you know, they're they've raised less than a quarter million dollars combined. So yeah, I don't know. You know, I noticed that Dewine's ads have taken a more strident tone lately. So, you know, you know, I think he's trying to rope in those people who were his critics long ago. And let's not forget that the Ohio GOP didn't think they were going to endorse him. And then they did. And then they gave him like almost a half million dollars in cash and in-kind contributions. So the state party throwing their weight behind him. Yeah, It'll all come out in about five days. We'll have, finally have the answers that we've been waiting for. It's today in Ohio. 
Josh Mandel has been all about the greatness of Donald Trump since he started his run for U.S. Senate last year. But now one of Mandel's major backers is harshly attacking the former president. Laura, what's going on here? So this group is called the Club for Growth. It's a Washington, D.C. anti-tax group that's backing Mandel, and they're publicly attacking Trump over his endorsement over of J.D. Vance in this very heated, very long-running Republican U.S. Senate race. And they already have aired ads highlighting Vance's past as an anti-Trump commentator in 2016. And way before that... Um, they backed Mandel's aborted run for the U.S. Senate back in 2018. So they've now spent several million dollars on attack ads in Ohio, much of which is going after Vance. And this new ad explicitly questions Trump's judgment for endorsing Vance. And it actually splices news clips documenting his endorsement of Mitt Romney's 2018 Senate campaign alongside those same statements Vance has made in the past attacking Trump. It's such a delicious end to these campaigns because all of last year, the candidates were just such sycophants begging for Trump's approval. And now that he has not given it to them, it's almost like he's their arch enemy, which makes you question everything they said in pledging their fealty to him. If they were true to their word last year, the minute Trump said Vance, they would all done what Bernie Moreno did, which is to say, I'm for Vance. But they're not. They're coming out swinging. And it's unclear how much help Trump is giving him. Right. I mean, they still want to win. Um, and Vance has said he was wrong about Trump. He's saying and Trump has acknowledged that Vance said him bad, some bad stuff about him. But uh, he said other Republicans have, too, and remained in the fold. So I, you're right. This is an interesting end to everyone vying for his approval. And then he finally gives it and they're like, we don't want it anyway because he's he's wrong. And so it is. It's like turning on on your own. Well, and after Tuesday, no matter who wins, will the rest then get behind that person after having said these kind of hard-to-walk-back statements about what monsters they are? This hasn't been a good-natured battle. They've been vicious. So are they going to turn around on Wednesday and say, oh, I fully support the candidate? You know, when you watch no. these these ads and they're you know they're on when i watch wheel of fortune with my kids or whatever and that's all that's on and you're just watching them going these could be satires and the kids are asking these questions and you're like oh my god this is just watching the you know it swirl down the drain it's so sad i don't know do you really want to expose them to that maybe you should take them out for a swim or go skiing (laughs) (laughs) you're listening to today in ohio Does the state prison system have the power to unilaterally extend prison terms the way the legislators say it should? How does a bunch of Ohio Supreme Court rulings from yesterday change this landscape? Layla, when they passed this law, I did not see how it was not a violation of the separation of powers. It just seemed so wrong that they did it. And it looks like the Supreme Court might agree with that sentiment. Yeah, for sure. At the heart of this is the Reagan-Tokes Act, named after Reagan-Tokes, who was a 21-year-old Ohio State University student. She was raped and murdered in 2017 by Brian Goldsby. He was on parole for a rape conviction at the time. So in late 2018, the Ohio General Assembly passed this law that allows the Ohio Department of Rehabilitation and Correction to extend incarceration time beyond an offender's minimum prison term or early release date, but not beyond the maximum prison term. And that is, you know, that allows the department without any court approval to lengthen that term for reasons including the offender's violation of prison rules that lead to physical harm and acts that, quote, demonstrate that the offender continues to pose a threat to society. 
Ohio inmate Edward Maddox challenged that law, and in March, the Supreme Court let his case go forward, and then soon after, there was just sort of a flood of other Ohio offenders challenging it, too, on on direct appeal from their convictions. And their arguments were what you probably would have expected, that the statute violates the separation of powers required in the Ohio Constitution, and it violates their rights to trial by jury and due process. And so on Wednesday, the Ohio Supreme Court ruled on 31 of these cases, which is really an unusually high number in one day. They ended up reversing lower court decisions on 21 cases and sending those back to the lower courts for more review. And as a result, the 21 inmates could potentially not be subject to the sentence increases that the Reagan-Tokes Act allows. The Supreme Court dismissed the remaining 10 of the 31 cases, and three of those inmates in those cases were from Northeast Ohio. Laura Hancock has the details of those ca- those three cases in her story that are from our area. But, you know, it's a little unclear what these rulings mean for the Reagan-Tokes Act, but reversals on 21 cases is quite the message from the state's high court. Well, think about the system we have in place where you're accused of a crime. You go to court, the prosecution, if they win the conviction or you you plead out, there's a huge pre-sentencing report done on you by people who are expert in this. It's all given to the judge. The prosecutor seeks a sentence. The defense attorney seeks a sentence. And a judge makes a decision in the end. This is what's fair. And then the, 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 the prison people could just unilaterally say, we're extending yeah. it. That, that just is wrong in every way. When they passed this law, I, I was stunned that that it would it would make it because it's this is not the way it works. And you're usurping the judge's power. You right. can't do that when you're a legislator. And who is it on in, in the Department of Rehabilitation and Correction that's making those calls? Is it a parole board? Is it some I mean, who who gets that power? That is that it's 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 completely unconstitutional. I'm I can't even believe that it's 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 lasted a few years uh, without being completely struck down. It's another result of gerrymandered districts. We just have a legislature that doesn't know what it's doing and passing ridiculous laws. Hopefully this one will get abolished eventually because it's just not fair. It's today in Ohio. Tuesday's primary election apparently is not confusing enough with all the fighting over gerrymandering. How much notice did the Cuyahoga County Board of Elections give to more than 60,000 voters that they will vote in a new place this time around? And Lisa, let's keep playing bingo. Did you get that notice yourself or how are you voting in this election? Do you have a personal anecdote? I did. Well, you know, I like to vote in person just like I did in Texas. I voted in person every time. And no, my precinct was not affected by these polling location changes. But yeah, they were announced yesterday with less than a week to go before the May 3rd election. But to be fair, you know, I think that Cuyahoga County Board of Elections Director Anthony Perlotti has been under the gun. He's had to change ballots. He had, you know, he had deadlines sending them to the printer. So delays like this are probably to be, ex- or changes like this are expected to be expected. Does that make sense? Anyway, but he says that every ballot is unique across precincts, which is true. So you got to make sure that you're going to the right polling place so you're voting on the right ballot. So the, the areas that were affected, there were 58 precincts affected, most of them in Cleveland. Eight municipalities were involved. 63,000 voters overall are affected. So those, most of them were in the city of Cleveland. There were others in Euclid, Mayfield Heights, North Royalton, Parma, Seven Hills, Shaker Heights, and Westlake all had polling place location changes. So make sure that you can either go to Caitlin Durbin's story on cleveland.com. We've got the entire list of all the polling place changes, or you can go to 
443vote.us website and check there. I hope that all of this confusion doesn't have people just say, eh, I'm not voting. That would be the worst result of this, that the indecision and the willful disregard of the law and the legislature and all of this other stuff, people just throw up their hands and say, eh, I'm not going to do it. I don't even know where I vote or I don't even know what's on the ballot. We're getting a lot of that this week. You know, I, I don't even know which congressperson I'm supposed to vote for. Can you can you explain it again? We're going to run a Cuyahoga County map to try and make sure people understand understand that because people just don't know but i hope they go and vote and they can vote today i mean you can do early voting in person through monday next monday at 2925 euclid which is the board of elections headquarters downtown and you can still vote by mail you can drop that mail ballot in the box by 7 30 p.m on tuesday election day so you know yeah i, I well, we were thrown a loop back in 2020. I mean, the election was shut down, you know, three days before it was supposed to occur. So we've been through this. But yeah, I, I hope that people are motivated to vote. They Maybe not in this primary, but in November, it'll be a big deal. Okay, it's today in Ohio. How long will it take to find a new use for that giant Mayfield Heights Walmart store that is closing? Laura, we talked about the the abrupt closing a week or so ago, but we now have an idea of how long that thing will just be a big dinosaur. Yeah, we don't know for sure, but we, I mean, Sean McDonald did some research on this and he's hoping, and people in Mayfield Heights are hoping that it's not going to be too long because it's in a great location. And that lease on the building expires in October. So it's not like Walmart can just hang on to it as empty space or as warehousing. The owner is USA Management and Development. They've already listed the building for lease on their real estate platforms and the, the website for the company. And according to the firm, 42,000 vehicles pass by that store every day. So very, a lot of traffic that could come in. It's 137,000 square feet built in 2004 for Walmart originally and sits on 10 acres. So this could be divisible. More than one business may end up occupying the space. If you're coming off the highway, it's like the first thing that you see on the right um, if you're coming from the south. So I feel like this will be something that somebody wants to snap up. Really? See, I, I everything I've ever read about the Walmart stores is there is no real use for them because they were so uniquely designed for Walmart that right. they're hard to carve up, mm-hmm. that they're cavernous. That that, and and I think you see across the country that there are a whole bunch of them that have never been filled. There's one in Cleveland Heights that to this day remains empty. I, I don't well, know. That, I, but that whole area, Severance Town Center, is not the same bustling shopping center that this one in Mayfield Heights is. And I I agree that they are difficult to fill, but Sean went through a long list of places like the Super Kmarts and everything that have been sitting or transformed. And I mean, this one is in a better location. It's not a mega Walmart, like it's a regular size Walmart, which is still giant, but not as big. And they looked at the Toys R Us located across the street in that Eastgate shopping center. That's a big building closed in 2018 of June. And by October they had Aldi in there. So there's, there's more spots to fill in the area. Uh, Three vacant spots in the plaza, including where a bed bath and beyond used to be. So, I mean, there's plenty of retail space. There is a glut of it, but I'm hopeful that they'll find something. Although you're right. I mean, it's not like you can just like open another 137,000 square foot store in a blank. Well, and the may- yeah, the mayor himself, the Mayfield Heights mayor said that really the only use for a big box store is another big box store. 
you know, and you've already got a Best Buy in that area. I mean, all the big box stores you can think of other than Walmart are kind of in that area, except maybe a Costco. No, so you we'll got see. you got the Costco. Right the oh, that's right. That's highway. right. You got Costco, right. you got Target, side. you got Home Depot. Really, I, mm-hmm. I defy you to come up with a big box store that they don't have. And let's face right. it, retail is extremely challenged, especially post-pandemic mm-hmm. where everybody was buying stuff. Maybe they'll put an Amazon fulfillment center in there. Yeah, <laughs> you know that. How about a jail? Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. I'm, just, Ooh, okay. I, I'm surprised that well, you didn't just throw the on. flag on my explanation <laughs> there. <Chris. laughs> All right. I think we've done enough bingo references. And I don't think we have time for another discussion. So thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Layla. Thank you, Laura. Thanks to everybody who listens to this. And thank you, Sam Allard, for having some fun with this podcast. Check out Sam's bingo cards on clevescene.com. We'll be back Friday to wrap up the week of news. 